Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and this is the Sunday Roundup. At a time when the NHS is under extreme pressure, with staff shortages and strikes causing widespread disruption, Health Secretary Steve Barclay outlined the government's £2.4 billion plan to employ more than 300,000 new doctors and nurses over the next few years. He clarified to Laura Koonsberg that this would be additional money from the Treasury, although he was vague when asked to explain how it would be funded. On the start of the plan to get these more staff, where's the cash going to come from? Well, that ramps up. It will be announced through the normal process with the Chancellor at the next fiscal event. It's something he has long championed and been hugely supportive of, as indeed has the Prime Minister. So we've been clear as a government we're going to prioritise what is the biggest workforce expansion in the NHS's history. It's right we do that as we mark the 75th anniversary to ensure we have the staff we need for the future. Uh, That will ramp up as we double that doctor training so it doesn't all come in the first year, but it underscores our commitment to the NHS and it builds on the biggest ever investment in the NHS estate, over £20 billion, which we announced as part of our new hospitals programme. And I'd like you to be really explicit. So that £2.4 billion is that extra money that will come from the Treasury to the Department of Health at the next budget. It is extra money. It scales up, so it doesn't all arrive in year one. If I can explain it, as you have doctors being trained, obviously, as they go into the second year, you have double the number into the third year, triple the number, because you're paying for the subsequent years as they come through. So the money will scale up, but it's additional money from the Treasury, and it underscores something that the Chancellor has long supported when Mm -hmm. he was doing my job, something the Prime Minister coming from an NHS family with parents that work in the NHS, and it's part of this wider commitment from the government Mm -hmm. as we mark the 75th anniversary to invest in the NHS estate, to invest in innovation such as our screening Mm programmes but also to invest in the workforce. And the Prime Minister made it very clear to our viewers last week there isn't much money around so are you going to borrow to get that extra cash to train these nurses and doctors? Well the Chancellor will announce that at the next fiscal event. Sophie Ridge attacked the government's record on its five main pledges asking Steve Barclay what would happen if its targets weren't met. She pointed out that there were more people waiting for treatment in the NHS than before, but Barclay claimed the government's plan was working and that they had successfully reduced the longest waits as a first priority. Looking at the five pledges that Rishi Sunak made that he said he wanted to be judged on, and it seems like you guys are on pretty shaky ground. You know, halve inflation, stop the boats, cut debt. When the Prime Minister announced them six months ago, he said simply, no tricks, no ambiguity, we're either delivering for you or we're not. What happens if you're not? Well, the Prime Minister was clear these were tough targets that he set himself, and rightly so. Well, most people thought they were easy, that they were low bars. Well, you can now see that there were tough targets that were set, and it was right that we did so. And I have to take waiting lists. The plan is working. We cleared the longest waits, the two-year waits last summer. The plan is working on waiting lists. We cleared cleared the longest waits. Well, what the plan set out was the target the longest waits. We cleared the two-year waits last summer. We cleared over 90% of the 18-month waits. We're now focused on the 65 Week weights, that's the next element of the plan, and we're massively accelerating the rollout of our diagnostic centres, our three surgical the, hubs, three in the order five to bring pledges, the overall quantum down. Three of the five pledges around the economy, but debt is 100% of GDP. The economy grew by 0.2% in April. Inflation's far higher than expected. You know, what happens when the guy who says he's the one to fix the economy doesn't actually fix the economy? Well, you see that the 
because we've had two 100-year events, of course, there's been huge pressures, and these are not alone to the economy in England. There are we specific see them, issues uh, across, for our economy. You will acknowledge that. Uh, so you know, you're we, a smart oh, guy, you know that. Well, we're growing the economy. We recognise the OECD. We recognised uh, that recently, the progress that has been made. But, of course, we've had two 100-year events. Those have had an impact. Okay. But if you look at the progress we're making in health, the rolling out of national lung cancer screening... Much of the discussion around healthcare focuses on the problems with funding and staffing. But the panel on Laura Koonsberg's programme were united in arguing that a greater emphasis on prevention was essential to ease the increasing strain on the NHS. Former Health Minister Lord Bethel said that long waits for treatment are an example of the NHS being forced to ration its services and that measures to tackle issues like gambling and obesity are needed to make the country healthier as a whole. But as somebody who was in the Department of Health, do you think that they are being honest enough about how serious the situation is? I had a huge lot of uh, sympathy for the way Amanda put it. Uh, she is right that the service that the NHS delivers to patients is very high standard. It's, it's, it's a really great uh, national service. It just doesn't deliver it to everyone. And you had that clip from Kevin, who was waiting for uh, kidney treatment for eight, nine, ten months. That, Laura, is rationing. That is, that is not a logical clinical decision. If someone has a need for an operation and you simply don't have the resources to give them what they need, then you are going beyond the important protocols of allocating scarce resources in the best way possible and you're being defined by the amount of resources you have available. It's interesting you use that word because often it's a word that politicians and people in the health sector might use privately. They say actually basically waiting lists are like rationing but you now are saying that publicly as someone who's been a health minister. I think that there is a difference between reasonable allocation of resources and making tough decisions, which is part of every, everyday life, and having to cope with uh, a system that's overwhelmed with illness. It breaks my heart to be talking about gambling clinics and spending money mopping up the waste from gambling and casinos when there's someone waiting for a kidney uh, operation. That makes no sense at all. That is not a way that we're scapegoating the NHS with far too much of society's problems, and they can't cope with all the illness there is in society. Another Sophie Ridge asked National Education Union leader Mary Balstead if she had any sympathy with the government's suggestion that public sector pay rises were unsustainable because they contribute to inflation. Balstead strongly rejected the argument, claiming that private sector profits were a much more significant factor in inflation. She also suggested that investment was absolutely necessary to prevent the exodus of workers from the public sector before the services they provide collapse. In the last few weeks, it's become clear that the economic situation is worse than most people were expecting. Um, the governor of the Bank of England, for example, Andrew Bailey, telling Ed Conway from Sky a couple of weeks ago that the UK cannot continue to have the current level of wage rises because they're inflationary. Is that, do, you think, do you have any sympathy with that argument at all? No, I have no sympathy with that argument at all. Um, the OECD reported last week that it, it is private sector profits which are driving inflation. Uh, not Partly. Not entirely. The majority. That part of the increase yeah. is private sector profits, but I think a, it is acknowledged by the Bank of England and others that pay comes into it. Well, public sector pay doesn't produce a, way, a price hike at the points of use. Consumers, if they're using state education, don't pay per lesson. Uh, consumers don't, if they're using the National Health Service, pay per time they go. It doesn't feed into cost price rises in the same way that you could argue 
excessive pay rises in the private sector, although we haven't seen those, feeds into the prices people pay. And the consequences of not paying public sector workers is that they are leaving public service and the services which they provide are collapsing. You have to invest. There's no evidence that public sector pay feeds into inflation. That's just becoming an argument which the government is now using in another attempt. Well, that's what the Bank bamboozle. of England say as well, right? Well, Not just the government. The Bank of England governor on half a million a year can say, he, he's quite at liberty to say that um, uh, teachers who earn on average less than £40,000 a year shouldn't get a pay rise. I'm not going to take lessons from him. The Shadow Education Secretary Bridget Philipson spoke about Labour's plans to offer teachers who complete their first two years a single payment of £2,400. She claimed the government had not spoken at all with the union since April and that Labour would be more open to negotiation but refused to offer any specifics about whether Labour would accept the 6.5% pay rise suggested by the pay review body. Would you accept a 6.5 pay rise for teachers? Well, we're speculating on what we think it no, might uh, be. OK, well, my question is... I would see that as the start... Would you accept a 6.5% pay rise for teachers? I would see that as the starting point for negotiation. We can't get anywhere unless we're prepared to negotiate. We, as, so I what, what it, as I understand it... What does that mean, the starting point for negotiation? Does that mean you would want to give them more than 6.5%? Does, does that mean you want to... I, I, I just don't understand. What, so, what does that mean? As I understand it, there have been no ne serious negotiations led by the Secretary of State since April. So it's little wonder that we are facing further strike action this week because she won't talk to them. She won't publish the report and she won't speak to the teaching unions. I will be talking to them, trying to find a way through it, resolving issues around pay, resolving issues around workload. And what I'm setting out this week is a really ambitious plan for how we respect and appreciate teachers for what they're doing, give them better ongoing professional development and more support for early career teachers with that new uh, retention payment, all paid for by ending the tax breaks on private schools. So would... <laughs> I'm I, I, sorry that I keep feel like you probably feel like I just keep going on about this, but the reason is because I, I don't really understand the answer that you're giving me. Would Labour accept a 6.5% pay rise for teachers? Well, I want to see the report. We all want to see the report. I'm, I'm not asking about the report. I'm from... just asking a straight question. 6.5% for teachers. I'm not going to come on this programme and commit to a figure. I wouldn't expect the Secretary of State to do that either. That is what will happen during the course of a negotiation where you will arrive at a position that everyone can live with. So I wouldn't expect the Secretary of State to be committing to that number. What I do expect the Secretary of State to be doing, I think what any sensible and credible government would be doing, would be trying to find a way through the impasse, publishing the report, committing to talks, getting serious about it, not constantly belittling teachers, picking fights in newspapers and focusing on peripheral, narrow issues. The most important thing that parents want to know right now is, is the teacher in front of my child's class qualified? Are they properly supported for what they're doing? And can we get these strikes to come to an end? In principle, should the government accept the pay review recommendations? Well, they've said that they will previously, so we'll wait and see what happens. We take that seriously. That's, when not, that's we were, not the question, that's not when, the question the, I the asked. I'm asking, you know, in principle, should a government accept the pay review uh, recommendations? That is normally what happens. Yes, that is normally what takes place. Um, what we're seeing at the moment is far from the normal kind of process. So when you've got a government that has received these reports, won't publish the reports, I think it is incredibly disrespectful. We're almost at the end of the summer term. School leaders want to plan on that basis. They don't know what their budgets are going to be. 
We need a different kind of relationship. It has to involve respecting teachers for what they're doing. We're not always going to agree. No Being one would straight expect with them that. about how much you've given well, we're not pay rises. I, I, if I was Secretary of State, I would absolutely be straight about that. But we're not in government at the moment. When we are in government, if we win the trust of the British people, they will have an honest, straightforward relationship with me. We won't always agree, but I'll be around that table seeking okay. to work it out and get to a better position. That is what our children deserve, not this ridiculous politicking that we see from the Tories. And finally, astronaut Christina Koch, who is set to become the first woman to go around the moon next year, spoke to Koonsberg about the experience of spending almost a year in space and the supreme honour of doing a spacewalk. She said that a mission to Mars was planned for the 2030s and that she hoped to be on it. That's all for this week. I'm Isabel Hardman and this podcast was produced by Joe Bedell Brill. Don't forget to subscribe to the Coffeehouse Shots podcast on the iTunes store. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do subscribe to our daily evening blend email. It's a free roundup of all the political news each day, along with analysis and a diary on what to expect next. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash blend. Thanks for listening and do join us again next week. <laughs>